and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. Uh, I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Just Duncan. Just little on me. I was, uh, because there's only two people, I started locking into the in-betweens intro because I mm-hmm. my brain just works like that extremely procedurally. Uh, but no, this is a full episode uh, with just us. Um, related to that, we'll have an announcement at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. But for now, we are talking about a question that was submitted to us uh, by one of our fans. And we will talk about that. And then after the break, we'll talk about the one last man out from the season that we didn't cover, which is uh, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex 2045, or SAC 2045, if you <sighs> see it more as an imperative, uh, not to spoil my opinion. Uh, yeah, and we'll talk about the second season and how they need to stop making Ghost in the Shell content. And mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> But first, so to paraphrase the letter, because it's got a lot of praise in it, which we don't want to read out loud because we're very modest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so they modest. wanted to know. Yeah, they wanted to know our opinion about American versus Japanese IP management. Uh, a lot of American brands uh, attempt to grow up with their audiences. And that's why we get all these reboots and uh, grittier adaptations uh, to try to keep up with that. But lately, um, over the past several decades, uh, Four Quadrant Entertainment, Four Corners, whatever you want to call it, uh, the way to get just uh, as large of an audience as possible um, so that parents and children can take parts in the same fandoms. He doesn't see as much of that happening in anime. Um, there aren't any like franchises that try to grow up from being kids action shows to adult uh, drama or romance shows. Um, and he wanted to know what we thought of as the reasons for this or if we should just reject the question out of hand. <laughs> uh, Duncan, I know that you uh, struggled a bit with this question. What did, where did you come out on it? I mean, I think part of my problem comes from that I'm not really the person who's <laughs> that interested in the sausage factory like I, i'm more interested in the artisanal s- sausage maker who and his bl- blend of 20 herbs which he he has, <laughs> has uh, created uh through years of dedication to his craft uh, the and like this this is this is a, this is about the act of making a product rather than the act of making a, a work and that that's uh-huh. that's kind of, of a difficult thing for me to to do and I think part of that comes from like I'm not sure if in the UK we have the same sense of like this the 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 four cor- four corners entertainment being a a thing sort of awareness of the i this is an idea of like something aiming to get to all these these main de- demographics like it's something which certainly exists in the production and the stuff over here but it's just not something which is as publicly aware and I think every country has its own pipeline, which is dictated by its its media landscape. I think, for instance, the BBC has a huge impact on um, yeah. the BB- on yeah. the on the British uh, media landscape because it has these um, principles enshrined into it. It has to uh, educate as well as entertain, and uh, similarly, even with um, the commercial channels, they're still chartered. They still get a license from the government, and they have to produce things within a certain range. And so, I think Japan has its own particular media an- landscape. And my problem is, I don't know when it became what it currently is or why. And so, I feel really a real sense of trepidation of trying to answer this question when I'm when all I can do is draw conclusions from what I'm seeing and that may be not what happened. Yeah, I I do think that it's very hard to talk about American media 
or even just like North American media, like I think Jeff would prefer, because a lot of <laughs> what we think of as American shows are Canadian shows, and a Canadian would insist they're also American, which, <laughs> sure, why not? Um, it's not a very popular title right now, at least for the people I care about. But having these massive mega corporations that often own these properties that they just need to maximize profit out of is, I think, what's really shaped the American landscape, the idea that you need to have a star a star wars product that is the uh that is the two to five and the five to eleven and the eleven to eighteen and the nineteen the the infamous nineteen to thirty five demographic uh like that the idea of having four quadrant entertainment male female young old um that that is a product of a marketplace that has consolidated and therefore needs to like see returns on, on consolidation. While I do think that in the UK, uh, it might be a little more similar to Japan because you have a, you have, you know, a central state media licensing. You don't have cable and streaming. I mean, you do, but you don't have it as dominant as, yeah. as how people consume media. Um, people are like everyone existent in the UK. <laughs> well, cause it sucks. And like the moment that we had better <laughs> options, we took them. Um, and now we're, we're headed back to a cable model because time is a flat circle. But I do think that like having having the uh, the Japanese telev- television stations that have like very heavy control, um, most uh, anime properties that happen uh, either happen with a television station that has a close alliance with the publishing house that owns mm. the property, um, or it's part of a consortium of different businesses. Uh, that again work very closely with sort of an allied uh, television network, and I, I do think that that means that they are less trying to get cash crops that pay off quickly and more trying to create these products that are kind of perennial and can be like nurtured through. And I, again, mm. I don't know if that's how it is in the UK, but at least in in Japan, when we see these long running franchises, they're either tied to merchandise like Precure or Gundam. Or they are just like a series of blue chip properties that have are usually a manga, but sometimes an anime that is supported with secondary secondary merchandise that have a sort of single mainstream trend. There's not the idea of having a bunch of companion shows to completely fill out the media space. It's more about targeting what's most optimal for yeah, this one definitely, brand. Definitely, definitely. And I wish I had more particular things to say, but I think you're right. Like I, this is all second party. Uh, second or third party observation and i've only bought things from an actual japanese company once or twice in Mm -hmm. my life so uh i i have to assume based on what i what i see um but i do think it's just different ideas of what makes a profitable media landscape Um, and some of that is cultural and some of that is political and some of that's economical something we talk about a a fair few times on here here is how so many anime are not designed as the product themselves they're they're mm-hmm. the advertisement or and that's such a different thing to most uh properties on uh, american t- tv like yeah i think some of it may as you say be the the legacy of the 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 cable stuff where you you are having a show which you want someone to, to which is you want someone to tune into your channel for you're dra- you're dragging someone in, and then you sell them adverts separately, and so the show yeah. is what's making you money, rather than something else. And I think also in Japan, the manga is often bigger than the anime, certainly in t- in terms of who's c- in control. Whereas you cannot say like the um, 
creative control of, of like it, I've, I've had arguments with people about the latest Miss Marvel yes, I've uh, seen. <laughs> adaptation because it takes a lot of liberties with the the comics plot to an extent it, that it, it it frustrates me and it doesn't feel like the same thing at all and if that had happened with with a, a manga I can just imagine the, the, the absolute and complete outrage on online uh. Yeah, I, it, it, to, I, imagining like The Walking Dead, the TV show being made to get people to watch the walk to read The Walking Dead comic seems absolutely laughable. Yeah, um, and it does kind of work that uh, in at least with Marvel and DC and the big comic uh, companies, which are themselves owned by even larger media conglomerates, mm-hmm. uh, but they tend to be that the uh, the audiovisual medium is for everybody, and then. It's secondary sales that you get off of off of people mm-hmm. going to the comics, uh, at least these days. Now that there's actually a functional like movie to pe- to comic pipeline, yeah. which they struggled for years. Still to put better place. than it used to be, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I can't complain. But uh, in Japan, oftentimes it's the manga that's for everybody, uh, and the anime is something that only hardcores will watch because it's airing after midnight, or it's you know no one's going to sit down for it for it. 23 and a half minute show they're going to just like flip through the manga on their way to work on the subway mm. but then sometimes the properties can get big enough that that kind of inverts yeah uh like the demon slayer movie that just like instantly mainstreamed <laughs> what was hit was a very popular but hitherto kind of like otaku series um Demon Slayer is an interesting thing because uh, Andy t- Andy's talked a few times about um, uh, this idea of sort of quote unquote new shonen jump of this idea mm-hmm. of a certain sort of um, not quite a house style but like that within this Japanese um, publication uh, model of having these big uh, compilations of stories he's published in like these huge thick volumes which each one has like dozens of stories within each volume that that means essentially you've already got almost themed channels for at the at the baseline so you've already got shonen jump has a distinct style has a distinct identity and means if you want to get published you're pitching Mm -hmm. a shonen jump story which means you've already got an audience in mind. You're not looking for that audience. You know who that audience is. And I think that's kind of segmented at a level which is in uh, uh, contrast to the, the sort of this multi-generational thing which we talk about in the, the, the Four Corners. And the, the, the question we were asked mentioned um, the lack of adult romance at anime. And... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't of the shows we have liked being all these more adult orientated romances would end up being in published in if not the same single uh um magazines which have that audience but they're a small audience mm-hmm. and because that's an already a small audience that means it isn't economically viable often to try and then sell an anime adaptation to a smaller slice of that audience when you're adapting adapting from uh, a manga to a anime, you're not growing the audience, you're shrinking it. Well, I mean, if you take the anime as a standalone product, but you're really growing the anime audience, I mean, you're really growing the manga audience by putting an anime out there that people will stumble into, because otherwise it largely seems that Japanese media is about people kind of putting themselves in their own categories. You read yeah. the volume that 
has the series you like in, you discover other ones similar to it. Mm, yeah. um, there's very little attempt to trap someone inside a specific franchise and keep them there for the rest of their lives. And there's seemingly not as much effort to capture adult audiences into uh, into this. Like if there's the kind of people who would already watch anime, they're fine with it. But there's very little of this like midnight gospel adventure time uh ya stuff that that also has uh grown adult appeal um they're kind of just again like if they want to come and watch this sort of stuff that's fine but i think there's a definite sense of only trying at least on the first level only trying to market to people who would want to watch it when you come to the derivative merchandise and you have body pillows of underage characters or whatever yeah uh, that's a bit different um but when it comes to marketing the product itself like if an adult wants to watch precure that's fine but like there's not going to be adult focused ads for it at least i haven't seen those mm. um I it's it's about 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 making products for the audiences that exist rather than trying to like create these like lifelong fans um i guess maybe just because japanese culture already produces that naturally with gundam people um, but doesn't see it as like a distinct audience that you're chasing after. Yeah, yeah we we criticize shows a lot of the time by saying, yes, of course the audience is young, so that's why the characters are young, and that's why the themes are the themes which concern young people. And part of the listener's question was, is this ever going to change? Is this is it just that anecdotally people age out of the fandom? And I don't think it's ne- like aging out is a strange concept because you're you're not necessarily aging out you probably still enjoy a lot of the same things and they probably speak to you through nostalgia something we'll get to a bit later um <laughs> oh dear but i i do think that it's just a matter of people have less time as they get older like yeah and i never had as much free time in my life as i did was in in my teens and slash early 20s like Compared to being being an adult, suddenly brings with it things you must do, and yeah. especially when as an adult, as as the absence of of uh, some of the other members of the cast may speak to, if you say have a significant other who you're married to, or you have kids, mm-hmm. uh, the, these things become more important than anime. And in the just going back to the UK uh, media landscape, like. The closest thing we get to probably like um, in the popular cons- uh, consciousness of like the Four Corners um, thing would probably be like the idea of this like the the six o'clock show, the 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 big family show which is aired at dinner time when everyone's sitting, everyone's just either finished their dinner or sitting down for dinner in fr- front of the TV. This idea of that this is the time everyone's going to be in front of the TV because mm-hmm. they don't have any other because the rest of the time they're doing something else else they're either in work or they're looking after the kids or whatever this is the time when they stop and they something can be in front of their eyes and that's when those shows are shown and mm-hmm. I think like equally like the I think some of the examples we've been given of um, the things like Marvel uh, uh, attempt to like Marvel are obviously the people who've done it most successfully in the past few years. Like um, DC have have I would say f- pretty much failed, failed in their attempt to become closer to a four corner uh, sh- uh, mm. a corporation. 
they are, I'd say DC are far closer to something like um, the, the manga model in, in when they've had successful shows, things like um, uh, Doom Patrol, uh, for instance, like uh, this little cult, cult comic, which they happen to have the license for, which isn't, isn't family friendly. Yeah. Like DC's always, always because it's 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 heroes have always been like Batman as much as Superman. Like it's 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 always been seen as slightly darker, slightly edgier. Yeah. Whereas Marvel was uh, far more um, used humor as its way of reaching all all four corners. Because hu- mm. humor tends to be um, something which is both quite universal and which can uh, cross age groups with these um like if you look at some of the the shows we don't talk about on here things things like kintama like humor is the way that shows will often uh, cross those um the boundaries and widen their audiences rather than Mm. being a rather than more serious works yeah no that's all really astute i was just caught caught in thought thinking about how doom patrol is such a breakout success and like a lot of dc successes uh do seem to be because they don't give over into this four corners stuff and they are just making things for niche audiences and a lot of that's because of this auteur idea and this idea that you don't triangulate um who your demographic is for and i don't know i think that there are anime that happen to be that way but they tend to also be the outsider arty ones like Sanrosetsuba Sensei or even like your boy Kong Ming, even though yeah. Andy would insist that that's just an idol show, um, <laughs> but an idol show that turns on a, a love of ancient Chinese uh, history and epics is still... And the EDM. Yeah, yeah. Both niche in and, their but, own ways. Yeah. But it's, so, so it's really interesting to have... that uh, You do have these same kind of like idiosyncratic, auteurish, um, indie-feeling breakouts... Um, both in American media and Japan, and they're both serving as almost unexpected uh, successes within a more tightly demographically focused uh, focused structure or in a broad hit every audience. We want grandparents to be taking their children and their grandchildren to this sort of a more sort of media landscape. Mm. And it's funny how like there are both of these are, shooting for certain models of success, but there still is success to be found outside of the mod outside of these models. Um, they've been optimized in different directions, but they still can find crossover hits in Japan. And you still can find like niche, uh, very obscure sort of like publication focused ones. I don't know. I think that mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that we can make these, uh, generalizations about, about the different media landscapes of the U S and the UK and Japan. Um, but success is still success, even if it's not in the way that the corporations have figured out that's the best and easiest and cheapest way to, you know, sell 100 million copies. If I was to ask you, name one American director who you would most associate with, like, the, the genesis of, like, four-corner entertainment, who would you say? I mean, there's a lot of different cynical answers I could give. <laughs> Go on. Um, but instinctively. <sighs> See, instinctively, I'd say Spielberg, but I think ah, Spielberg yes, is just a cra- is just a craftsman who <laughs> happens to make universally appealing movies, uh, as opposed to someone who's doing it as part of a business model. That's which true. Is but the reason like... I, I thought of Spielberg is because of someone uh, who uh, famously 
uh, is very much thought of as, as a Japanese equivalent, which is uh, Miyazaki. Like mm-hmm. he, all the Ghibli stuff, very much does manage to be the four corners, and that's mm-hmm. despite having not really making any big attempt to do so. It's it's kind of strange, and like I mean, I there, was, to... there were some, but the big attempt is from trying to find someone besides Takahata and <laughs> Miyazaki himself who can do it. The only, I was trying to think of, of shows where someone ages, like where aging up is part of, of, of it. And one thing which, which uh, it's a shame Jeff's not here because I thought about JoJo's. Because <laughs> mm. like that is literally a gen, every every series is a new generation. Like you you, like you go from uh, the, 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 the star of the first series to being an, an old man, like three, yes, five series in. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because going back to Doom Patrol, I do feel like JoJo's kind of feels like the Doom Patrol of, of manga, <laughs> um, which is a completely incomprehensible statement, uh, largely built on vibes. But there is this idea of just like kind of weird idiosyncrasy finding a success all its own by being so out of step and yet so using the tools of uh, a certain industry or market. Miyazaki is also an example where he has a very distinctive style that uh, some people don't like. They don't like this sort of like old, old war, pre-war Europe feel and the the plucky girls and the like the bright primary colors uh, in a lot of the color palettes. Um, but generally, it's 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 universally universally appealing despite being a very like specific uh, evocation of a certain aesthetic. Yeah, uh, and it's funny how that how those markets are kind of created on their own, and they don't fall into the Marvel or even the Kodansha capitalist capitalist calculus of how to make a piece of media a success. Yeah, I think well, like my my closing thoughts on this is pretty much where you started, Ben. That to a certain <laughs> extent, it's one which is um, which is becoming less relevant because of the fragmentation of audiences by streaming services like netflix um mm-hmm. now who you subscribe to basically curates the kind of media you get served if you go to disney plus you're getting served a diet of marvel and uh, star wars and never some along and will come something which will sort of have be leave a bad taste in your mouth it'll all be something you're familiar and accepting of and it seems like it's really with the balkanization of streaming services, which with every major uh, corporation having to have their own boutique service of everything they've ever done yeah. or bought the rights of, um, that you do have this idea of like Netflix is Stranger Things. You subscribe it for Stranger Things and then you happen to just watch whatever they put in front of there uh, for you, which is going to be largely true crime these days, it feels like. Are you mm-hmm. going to... Uh, do HBO Max because you're really into into DC or into like old school HBO, and then you happen just to get whatever whatever offering. And it's funny that some some studios uh, like CBS with their Star Trek uh, anchored platform, um, some are trying to make them into more boutique experiences, and some are trying to make them one stop shop streaming services. And it seems to really correlate to the size of the company uh, that that owns the service because mm. HBO max and Disney plus are ones where I think that like they want to be the one service you own, which is a ridiculous dream, even yeah. in this age of hyper consolidation um, and other places are like, yeah. And then you can have Paramount plus on the side uh, to, <laughs> to watch all your star Trek, your one top one stop star Trek chop, chop, pop. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is, 
it, it does still feel like a time of transition. And I know that the let, that the yeah. the letter writer uh, referenced to how we've gone from um, trying to have shows grow up with people to trying to just have these universal blockbusters. But we've had eras of universal blockbusters before um, that I do think this is both a cycle and a landscape. It's always changing and never quite the same. And you can see the ways that anime production has has changed with the massive explosion of shows, which on the one hand has caused uh, a lot more big winners and a lot more big losers. Mm. And at the same time has also allowed for like small niche stuff like Ya Boy Kong Ming or... Um, something else weird and remaking bastard uh a an ova that everyone kind of just had vague fond memories of that you can have these like really niche things happening and some of that is funded by the balkanization of streaming um with netflix and Crunchyroll and what have you and some of it it just holds over from how how media used to be and how it's starting to be again in some ways yeah on that note shall we go and talk about a, a netflix show uh, yeah, I guess. Let me go make a drink. <laughs> so, that's the least. That's literally. I'm keeping that in because that's that's just the sheer and utter contempt for 2045 in in that. No, that I, and I want. I want. I want to. Yeah, the fade in just slams right up to like. And we're back. Uh, I've gotten to pick me up, so now we can make it through Ghost Michelle Sack 2045 second season. Mm. Uh, this uh, series, the second 12 episodes, aired uh, on May 23rd, 2022. That is two years and a month after the first 12 episodes aired on Netflix in April 23rd, 2020. Uh, I don't know why uh but i think we should just touch on what we had talked about last time and where we are now and how we feel about the series and any possible future continuations of it duncan do you want to go first again or is it me i mean i can go last time we were we were in a a a moment of uh of hope ben like we just (laughs) we we'd had a kind of absurd but interesting event happen one of the characters who we'd been introduced to and had had been developed a little bit was g- given her f- her moment to shine and she did and then she was shot <laughs> her in, in has been like introduced as like this innocent member who's who's there just because she's a technical genius and yeah. and a fangirl yeah That's, that was important from the beginning and <sighs> suddenly she's dead and I, I remember at the time you saying well this is this asks a lot of of questions because in standalone complex in particular the show's been quite um solid with its, its rules of how the world works like if your brain case is intact then you can you can be saved like your ghost can be sustained and but it feels like this these <laughs> in this second half of this second half those decisions became based purely on vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. Keep going. Sivko, you're doing great. Don't, uh, just I don't have to talk at all. You can you can just 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 tell everyone how you feel about this. I've said in the uh, the tween on the original uh, show that I think the concept of a ghost and exactly what that implies is imp- very important to the show. Uh, well, has been very important to show, God, um, that having 
this difference between an artificial construct of consciousness and sort of the true soul of a person, this mysterious element which they they call a ghost and that's been like one of the keystones of of the show like the the, the first film's main question is what is consciousness what it, what walks out of that door when the major and the puppet master merge what kind of being is it what kind of does mm-hmm. it does it still have her ghost or has it become something has it become something less or has it become something greater and that's an interesting question but here yeah. Perrin's killed and we're told she, she's then resurrected but it's not her it's just a copy but that that copy still has feelings but is yeah. this it's never raised is this does this copy have a ghost and what and ghosts are considered like an incredibly important thing in this universe and the fact that that's never discussed and no one seems concerned over whether or not she has a ghost is just like I just do not... It, it feels like the show is completely incurious about <laughs> itself. It has no no sense of sort of self-examination. Yeah, I... To preface this, um, I have immense respect for Kenji Kamiyama. Um, I think that, that the two series of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, no numbers after, I guess second gig counts mm. as a number, but no, but not besides that, are some of the best police procedurals and uh, conspiracy thrillers ever written. I think, um, although I appreciate the movies immensely as works of art, I think that the TV shows, those 52 episodes, surpass them. I think that they ask incredibly prescient questions, and and the answers he finds, while never conclusive, are always satisfying. And even the dumb ones that are just like a guy who's obsessed with French New Wave running away with his robot (laughs) that he's taught to be a, to be a, a, uh, the female protagonist in a French New Wave movie, like even that one, like has it it asks the same questions that like Ray's entire character arc in Evangelion is asking about, like if you've been built to be a doll, like what does it look like to like, and, and that's the only ability you have, like what does it look like to be a, a real person while also being purposely built as a doll for a man who wants to control you, like like Ghost in the Shell is just as much. Um, a party to these like big questions as Lane or Evangelion was uh, at that time, even though it comes a bit after. And mm. I've gradually come to understand in watching Kenji Kamiyama's later work um, that he is an extremely capable collaborator. And unfortunately, the incredible group of people they had at Production IG have gone on to make their own incredible anime, like uh, Eccentric Family and, and the like. And so I think it goes in the shell, SAC 2045 underscore uh lol has uh, has just showed that like he he doesn't have the same depth of talent and he can still know how to plug how to put the framework of a compelling paranoid conspiracy thriller that a team in over their heads is just ahead of he can still put together the framework of one but what he's plugging in is just questions he's already answered and better and yeah i mean even just like is perrin a real person if a bunch of tachikomas got together and made a gestalt of her from memories and biographical data like that's already been an- like that's a question they asked in the seventh episode of the first season with idolatry idolater with this with this dead 
sorry to spoil it. A series I just told you is one of the best ever made. Uh, <laughs> just skip forward 30 seconds or something. But uh, but yeah, a, a, a an honored revolutionary uh, is seen and it's confirmed that he has a ghost and it's gradually revealed that he died uh, some time ago using a ghost dubbing machine that had been used re- repeatedly to make these clones of him that have fragments of his ghost and it killed him and it's something that will just eventually degrade you can make a copy of a copy of a copy but eventually whatever spark a ghost dubbing machine can capture that doesn't die in the process of cyberization like it eventually will disappear and that there are questions of selfhood that exist beyond memories and exist beyond surface level similarity um that the fact that he has a replacement arm means he scratches his left arm. Like that's a, a sign of him having a ghost. Um, and the fact that standalone complex 2045 is just completely uninterested and is just putting yeah. in these beats to just make it seem like a character's moving forward. There are no people very, very rarely grow or change. The only real like big decisions that people make in the show. And we should probably maybe talk a bit more about the plot of, of the, of it itself. Yeah. But the only yep, big yep. decisions make is is Purin's decision to defect to uh, I've already forgot his name Shimamura. Um, what's his name? The kid who ends up like he won the game like at the beginning of this of this core. Uh, apparently, <laughs> uh, he already beat out all of the uh, the people trying to stop him, and it's just him taking a victory lap for the rest of the show, and then no one else, including the audience, knows until he's like, "Oh yeah, I won." Adrian Vite like yeah. like weeks ago my dudes but uh, when she joins with him when the tachikomas join with him and then when major gets to decide whether or not to unplug his world and it's heavily implied that she didn't um through certain elements like togusa magically being back with his wife there's there's so few character decisions and they're so often driven by ambiguity where there should not be I feel like Ghost in the Shell has always been a very intellectually precise series, even though it's been made fun of for talking about for talking about itself and pseudo philosophical gobbledygook. Um, mm. But I think I think that Ghost in the Shell definitely exists in a a pre J.J. Abrams, Damon Lindelof world of you <laughs> either know something or you don't know something or or you don't know if you know or don't know something. And there's none of this of this like double speak or like implied metaphor the the hesitance of this show to explain anything that's going on is is I think the clue that Kamiyama doesn't have what it takes anymore, which is too bad. I even yeah. like Baribito. I like Eden of the East. What else has he done? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just just having these stupid OC characters who don't mean anything, clogging up one of the greatest ensembles in anime in modern anime history. It's just, it's, it's so galling. You should have a side counter for every, every time, how many times I've sighed during this, this segment. I bet it's in the twenties. Uh, <laughs> I think you touched on something quite in, important there is that this second half of the, of this the series really turns on sort of uh, deception and mm-hmm. of, the audience and the characters. And I think whenever you, in any work, you have ambiguity of perception, you have to tread very carefully. Yes, yes. Like one of the common ways to do it is with a sort of a central, unreliable narrator. The person who, through whose eyes the story is presented through. 
And like even when that's not a literal spoken narration, just a strong sense of um, identity and like consistency of viewpoint throughout, it's it that can be interesting. Like Odd oh, Taxi did this incredibly well, or just recently, and that 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 used that had a huge reveal of of how our perceptions were being tricked. But because it had been consistent up to that point, the reveal didn't feel cheap. Whereas the original Ghost in the Shell also had um, strong themes of manipulation of, uh, and the way that did it was the exact opposite. It had a camera slash viewpoint completely disconnected from uh, the world. Mm-hmm. The camera sees the world objectively and the way it manipulated it was not by what we were shown, but what, by what we weren't shown. It's what's on that photo, mm-hmm. which we don't see all these little bits of information which are withheld rather than showing us something and then telling us later what you were shown was <laughs> wrong. And I think, I think 2045 lacks either the consistency of viewpoint the artistry of using a mission rather than um, fake outs. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I take that back again to characterization because I do think that one of the biggest problems with 2045 is that it lets the ensemble fall apart in favor of uh, having the major and major's better, smarter, cuter counterpart, uh, Purin, her mini-me, um, be driving all the stuff. And meanwhile, the show doesn't even remember like what Paz and Boma are for. They remember that yeah. they remember they have a sniper. They remember they have like a, a tough ex-military guy. They remember they have Ishikawa who just like does everything. He flies planes and makes viruses and hacks and shoots a gun. I mean, everyone shoots a gun in this one. But like <laughs> the fact that like we have so when you talk about, about about perception, the poor guy who gets hacked the most in Ghost in the Shell is Tokusa. He is not fully cyberized. Um, he is younger. He is naive. He's a family man. He has optimism for this obviously shitbag world that they live that they live in. Um, yeah. And there's a really great Polygon review. It, it, it ends up being a bit more acid than I would do, which is, I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm already like crapping all over the show. Um, but it points out that um, that Togusa is this kind of like image of like soft, curious masculinity, and he's used to often humanize scenes by having him interact with them. And so that really made it when I read that review and how it really persuasively argues that 2045 doesn't understand Togusa's characterization and just has him as um, the white version of the black guy who gets who they clown on all the time <laughs> named yeah. clown. Um and how they have him get hacked and disappear and he comes back. And I genuinely thought subconsciously, and once I read this article, consciously, that that, that was going to be some insight. Is that like the most human member of Section 9 has this transcending experience where he like is infected with a nostalgia virus by a child post-human who seems to have the least violent ideas for like how to destroy the world or whatever the post-humans were supposed to be doing because they wouldn't tell us, uh, because they didn't tell us anything in this anime. Um, I thought he was going to be a window, but instead he just gets sidelined because he's untrustworthy for a bit, and then he's just teleported to different places. And it's, it's so frustrating that we are constantly told that whatever the human the post-humans are doing, it's important to understand what they're doing, and we do not understand it until it is already done. And I think that is a level of trust that 
that Ghost in the Shell standalone complex 2045 extends neither its characters nor its audience is knowing what's happening. Because, like, yeah. Yeah. the major knowing what's going down, less knowing what's going down, Togusa, who's been, ha- who's like, literally should have an inside idea. I feel like a version of this season with him catatonic, just passively watching everything that Shimamura was doing would be more compelling instead of him having these, like, weird dreams where he, like, remembers his first undercover thing where he kills the guy. No, wait, he doesn't. They run away. No, he betrays him. I appreciate the the fluidity of memory there, but it's just used to sideline characters so that they can extend this fog of war so much further. And it's not a compelling mystery once it's solved. The only compelling thing is that it happened 35 minutes ago to watch to reference Watchmen for the second time in the course of this in the course of this uh, podcast. Like, no one does anything that matters and it expects us to be so impressed they didn't tell us <laughs> that that they didn't tell us what was happening and meanwhile the meaningful things that are done like creating a zombie of your dead of your dead section member um people getting hacked and experiencing vivid mutilation um yeah the joke at the end that it's going to be in space if they make another season like i don't it just Nothing mattered. 1984 didn't matter. Uh, Togus's disappearance didn't matter. All the post-human shit didn't matter. In didn't matter. The nostalgia crew didn't matter. The missiles didn't matter. Sustainable war didn't matter. Didn't, like nothing mattered. It just it was a story on rails. And there's a lot of sound and fury there that I spent a lot of energy parsing, and I'm mad about that. Didn't it didn't matter? I I feel like you can almost locate the the moment that it really went off the rails in my my view like and that's when um Purin comes face to face with 1A84 mm-hmm. the virus which has created the post humans puppet master of the post humans um, if you if you will yeah <laughs> and just how what it spells out is something which is fits with the trope of of computers as these sort of infinite paperclip machines, mm-hmm. like these things which you give them an initial instruction and that sets their nature and they cannot deviate from their programming. They mu- they have this central directive and they have to accomplish it and that drives all their actions. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel like it's got such a limited conception of what all these these questions could, could mean. Like, in the original Ghost in the Cell, this idea of the puppet master seeking to merge with a human, mm-hmm. like that's this huge question. And as we said before, like you have an ability for something to someone to completely change their nature. And I feel like it's not just one A eighty four which is stuck just in its original state, never progressing. It's all the char- it's every single character we meet. They they have an initial condition, an initial purpose, and they don't deviate from that. It, the major is always is the major. Togas is always is Togasa. Bato is always Bato. They they, mm-hmm. they are just that they are just their tropes. They are nothing more than their tropes. They don't evolve. We don't learn anything. And one A84's plots to just say we're going to I've I've created the post humans. Just saying, and this is their mission. Their mission is is to, who, as <laughs> as we we outlined last time, their mission is to uh, make everyone happy, but America the happiest. Um, and how it base how it it's it solves that by merging with people. 
and by sending out copies of itself to download into humans' heads and, and merge with them, basically get a new perspective to solve this problem it can't. And in and that in that very moment is an interesting question. It's okay. This AI mm has -hmm. admitted it, it's flawed. It's admitted that it can't solve that. And so it's 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 sought out human perspectives to solve this problem. The problem is when we get to examining what these human perspectives are, as it turns out, it's it's to become a, a, a gun gun yeah, is to, to do gun fu. Um, we were talking and, before about about that one scene where they're in the like covered concrete overpass and they're just like yeah. on, on roller skates shooting machine guns at each other endlessly, and it felt like something that would be on a TV in like like a brain dead kid's apartment and. 1989 or something i don't know it's so weird so weird at times i felt like there's parts of this show which felt like bad video game writing like the hacking became almost like a game mechanic rather yeah. than this horrific violation of someone's personal sort of consciousness and integrity it's just oh you've been hacked rather than like this this moment of where someone sat down and told everything they believe in life doesn't exist and this the ending mm -hmm. yeah we should we should talk about the whole plot and like yeah, just yeah briefly let, let, yeah if you, if you sure I'll, I'll run i'll run down it so I agree that I like um, the idea that an AI told an AI was programmed to make everybody in the world like prosperous, but America the most prosperous. And that's an impossible thing. I think that's maybe the smartest new thing to come out of this of this anime is like that is the double standard that with which the superpowers, the US most foremost among them treat the world. Um, but unfortunately, his answer is like, it'll take the Matrix to do that, because what happens ultimately, Shimamura infects people. Shimamura, the last standing post-human, um, after Office Lady with Machine Gun gets offed finally, uh, programs everyone with a benign virus that simply changes their perception to be the most favorable interpretation of anything happening. And that's it. They, they, there's a whole thing where they try to get a critical mass of people together and they're keeping those people from being detained or otherwise messed with by threatening nuclear war from a hijacked submarine. And there's a whole thing with a briefcase that I'm still not 100% sure about what, that, what was in that briefcase or what someone with that briefcase could do. But regardless, it had to do with nuclear missiles. Uh, and so, yeah, the major comes to Shimamura after he's done this and he's like yeah I won a long time ago but you fought really hard that's why you had to have the missiles to distract you and he, then he gives her the option to pull the plug and she seems about to but maybe she didn't and then she tells Bato she's leaving and the net is vast and infinite is that a good summary Duncan <laughs> yeah as I say like I think this idea of like, okay, what is this particular human solution to this? And Shimamura is ultimately the human who has come up with a solution to this. He's the one who comes to some consensus with the other post-humans. His solution is seems to be everyone splits into their own little pocket universe where they see things work out in the way they want to, in a way which seems to... Uh, also, at the same time, limit them 
necessarily doing harm to others. They, I think they cover that, honestly. I, I mean, the, the solution, I think, as depicted in the anime is total. It's just an annoying, unsatisfying solution because she, they, they have the situation where she talks to like the Agent Smith guy and he just can't see her. Like someone that they genuinely like that interacting with them would be bad. You just don't see that. You don't see or hear that person. And it only doesn't completely work that way because the major is too cool to be like affected by the virus, which is another thing that we just don't even have to talk about. Just you can just hear that and yeah. assume how I feel about it, listeners. Uh. And 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 so so you so the solution it, it postulates is is if someone has a violent impulse, they th- they will think they have carried out that violent impulse, yes. and they just won't have actually hurt yeah. a, another person. I mean, I I do think that this is an attempt. It's it's inescapable this is an attempt to like criticize like social media echo chambers i mean like am i right that's that that's the most obvious parallel here and i don't know what they have to say about it because i think the major decides that it's fine and this is like the natural evolution because we see her pull the cords and then she doesn't do anything and then we go there and like the, the big clue that everyone's been latching on to is that Togus is talking to his wife. And as the article I mentioned points out, this show uh, decides to, like, complicate Togus's character by making him a divorcee. Um, it doesn't have anything to say about what happens to a family man who's a divorcee, except that he has a destructive impulse, which, no shit, he's a man alive today or ever. But, uh... uh but the idea that either um, the virus has hacked his wife's brain into not knowing the reasons why she divorced him and they get back together, or the virus has hacked his brain into not knowing that he's divorced. There's this like incredibly dark ending that they show, and they really want you to be like, is, is humanity better this way? And I do think it's a bit braver in an artistic sense for the major decide not to stop the evil plot than for her to reset everything. But in a way, because of how delusions work and because of how, what this has to say about the demand of fans for a nostalgic property that does all the things we've liked to do in the past, like either way we cut it, it's either putting resetting the characters back to zero or it's resetting the world back to zero. And Either way, it's just it's 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 weirdly frustrating and unsatisfying for me. And I get the idea that kind of what Kamiyama is saying is that there was no Ghost in the Shell. There was there is no way to make a new Ghost in the Shell that would be satisfactory to us right now. And maybe that's true, but the answer is not to make a new one. <laughs> like if he, like that's literally like he says. I think I linked this in the in an interview in the previous uh, our discussion back in episode one thirteen, where he says that like I didn't. When he talked about making Solid State Society, the movie, um, which was which was made two years after uh, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex second gig, he said he didn't really want to make it because he he felt like the characters were done. Um, and mm. he found a way to like base it around Togus's character and have everyone grow a bit more with Togus stepping into a leadership role in the major once again, returning to her innocence like in- invisibility in the world. There was this idea that he could move it forward. And I'm surprised that like the themes of Sandlung Complex 2045 are that, like, no, one way or another, stasis is the natural state of these franchises. It's a very weird conclusion, but it, I, I guess I get it. I just don't know. I mean, I know why it had to be made. It's because it's Netflix. And... So do you feel it's his, his Eva 3.33? <laughs> Let's give a moment to celebrate Duncan managing to work in his weirdest talking point. Um, kind of. I think a lot... I think... 
a lot of these traditional creators are looking at the modern uh, big American money streaming worldwide streaming market and wondering if their stories still need to be told or what would have to change to make their stories relevant. Mm-hmm. And I applaud it with Anno. I, I still think the end of the original TV series and end of Evangelion are a better ending to the story. Maybe just cause I'm a depressed ex grad student, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like, to look at The Laughing Man, I just recently rewatched uh, the first season of Standalone Complex, and I really wonder if, for me, that was like the fly in my ointment. Just like rewatching mm. the original movie probably made you a lot less patient oh, yes. of, of what of what twenty forty five is doing wrong. Um, but it's wild how many questions twenty forty five asks as these like impossible, thorny, like naughty, impossible to pick apart things that I think the tv show way 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 back in like 2004 it was asking these same questions and answering them better and more curiously because i think it had faith in its characters to come up to come up with conclusions as opposed to having them imposed from on high um by either plot fiat or purin and shimamura who are both the most oc do not steal characters imaginable i don't know I, that's it's an re- interesting in, in, <laughs> in term, Ben, because like this, this felt like fan fiction to yeah, me at times. Yeah, 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 it did. Do you want to elaborate on and that before I rant more? We've we've talked about in the previous cast like how Ilya's stuff, um, like felt like it was it was extremely stylized and felt like I think think I called it Dream Cyber Daddy, um, and. <laughs> It's he sexualizes the characters in a way which, having watched the original film, it's just hundred percent not there. Like yeah. you can say, like the 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 major is is a body in the original film, and it is a body she has absolute no sort of concept of a, as a, as a sexual thing. She's to a point of discomfort to Bato, who completely unconcerned with how she's viewed. Like, she'll stand naked and it just doesn't matter to her. Like, when Purin is uh, resurrected, like, she's immediately like, oh, uh, I need to hide my stuff. There's obviously, like, this um, this shame and, like... You've talked, like, of Purin as a mini-me for the Major, and, like, she's clearly a more sexualized design than even this version of the Major, like from the bubblegum hair to the, uh, the the glasses like she's clearly designed to be someone's kink yeah they even they I mean they even put her in a in a kinky like cosplay outfit when she's in oh, the van yeah. with that guy <laughs> sorry to remind you of that <laughs> fan works have this this sort of idea that there is a strict canon about characters which they can't violate and like that's that's something which is common in the worst fan works that they just don't bring anything new to it. Mm-hmm. Like an, an interesting fan work, at least may postulate something new about them. It may be terrible in what it says about it, but it at least makes some attempt to evolve the characters and to explore a facet of them. Whereas this just seems to go, okay, canon is set. Yeah, and it's very weird because Ghost in the Shell has been defined by a slight irreverence to canon. They didn't the uh, the uh, Masamune Shiro comics. The tone of them is not carried forward yeah. into the movie, as Jeff has has explained excellently in our, our tween about the original movie. And the movie aesthetics 
are not really carried forward to the standalone complex. And no, then no, no, SAC 2045 are <laughs> definitely its own very uh, doll-like aesthetic, thanks to Ilya as the character designer. It's interesting that like it's a it's a series that continually reinvents itself. I haven't even mentioned Arise, and I won't mention Arise, but uh, <laughs> but we've spoken of. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Jeff called called Sack twenty forty five worse than Arise, which is, I think, an, an overstatement. <laughs> even if even if I am <laughs> I'm sympathetic to him, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's a show that always like reinvents itself. And so the the idea that Sack has to be so respect Sack twenty forty five has to be so respectful to this this idea of the major and this balance of the ensemble, even though they don't really have a lot to do with most of the ensemble, even though they want to introduce these new characters who are obviously much more in step with like the modern trends of character design and writing. They're the mm. Mari illustrious yes. Makanami of, yeah. uh, of Ghost in the Shell. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our conspiracy cast. <laughs> it's, it's the dropped in glasses girl. Oh God. It's all, it's all coming together now. Except they didn't have the guts to kill Mari like they did with Purin briefly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's just, it feels like a show that knows deeply in its guts that needs to change something that 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 history has has changed in the past in the past mm. 16 years. And we need to make a new ghost in the shell. But it incredibly just the, as I suggested before, the prescience of the original standalone complex makes it difficult to update um, because I think it's so clearly about the anxieties of like, okay, this internet thing is getting really big. If it takes over our lives, it's going to look very different than how it does right now. Mm. And now we live in a world where a meme president, a, a racism meme president, like won the election against like the far and away favorite. Like we live, we live in a, in an individual eleven world where people are self radicalized by random texts on the internet and, and do inscrutable shootings because of them. Like yeah. he was right. Like what do you do once you're right? What, what's the next show you make? And the answer is that you, you stay away from it for as long as possible until an American company comes to you with a bunch of money and they're like, Hey, we want more. And so you reset half your Canon and act like you want to reset the other half, but end up affirming a status quo that is more or less identical to the one that you left ghost in the shell standalone complex with. Yeah. There's so little, there's so little interiority to the characters in the show. Like, maybe Purin to an extent, and even Shinomura to an extent. And we th we thought for a while Togusa, but then everyone else. I can't think of anything that Major or Bato have to have like has changed their mind about anything. I mean, there is or... when Bato finds out that Purin like was a little girly save, and that's. The mo I found that episode, even though it's kind of corny, to be pretty moving because it's the first time we, the first and only time we get inside Bato's head in this whole show. It's SAC twenty forty five. I'm from now on. I'm going to just call it it's SAC twenty forty five, just because <laughs> I, I think it's your political I slogan. <laughs> I think it. I think it doesn't doesn't deserve to have to be called standalone complex. Because I, I keep forgetting. It's a beautiful phrase, though. I want to say it with my lips the thing i i just feel like standalone complex when you say, say it that that immediately by stating that you're inviting the the person who has seen this phrase to go what's a standalone complex what does that mean what 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 are the implications of it when they when they find out what it is they go oh that's an interesting term that's but when you just 
bring that down to sack <laughs> and there's and there's there's no sort of invitation to the the viewer to probe any deeper to investigate it to show any curiosity like even to like i, I just don't know it's just so so depressingly incurious yeah and i think it is <sighs> It is honestly the superficiality of this of this installment of Ghost in the Shell. The way that curiosity is not really rewarded. Knowing a lot about 1984 makes makes their use of the idea of the thought police in Room 101 frustrating. And knowing yeah. more about Shimomura's backstory, knowing what I honestly thought was one of the better episodes of the first of the first core with uh, meeting the paratrooper and the paratroopers like gives him a copy of 1984 and is like, Hey, this is a book for everything that's going to happen in the future. And then your antagonist, who's kind of a, who's kind of an anti-hero ultimately he, he uses that to make, to basically enact the plot of uh, a brave new world where he like installs yeah. a soma machine in everyone's head and compared to how important uh important uh the works of salinger are in the first season how important the idea of these like revolutionary manifestos that defined mm -hmm. the first half of the 20th century in terms of like the repeated coup attempts by the japanese military and the gradual boiling down to the core of people who would create world war ii uh at least for uh, in the pacific like the idea that the idea that this incredibly literary tv show uh had uh had all these ideas and then we just have 1984 plastered on top learning more about yeah. shimamura does not make it more revealing why he did what he did and when the major catches him in the end and interrogates his motives, he's just like, I thought this is what would work. And he's right, because it's not an intellectually curious universe. It's not a universe where where learning why characters do things makes what they did more interesting. It's the reverse. It's it just keeps boiling down to the stock, which is what you made the soup out of in the first place. I don't know. Yeah. Brave New World is far more uh, prescient about the, how we have found ourselves in the beginning years of this new new century than 1984 was i wonder if it just doesn't have the cultural cachet nowadays to be to be raised as a plot point if you brought up brave brave new world people would go huh i ain't heard of that as you see 1984 big brother these are these are mimetic in in themselves and so you can just trade on that that knowledge of what something might be yeah but I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying about the fact that this installment lacks bravery, because like Salinger and laughing, the laughing man and Catcher in the Rye are vaguely touchstones for people, but they don't have the meaning um, that the show is able to tease out inherently on their own. And and meanwhile, just going for 1984, going for these this, these big swings, I think. I don't know. Again, I mean, like you're just completely right. It's a lack of curiosity. It 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 feels like a paycheck, <laughs> which sucks. And I don't even know if it was a joke with the majors. Like, hey, who knows? We're going to space next. And I'm like, no, please, no, don't be on the, please don't be on the moon next next season. Don't have a next yeah. season. <laughs> uh, and because like like the like one of the I think the last line she slash the puppet master says in the original Ghost in a Cell is something like the the net is is wide and infinite, mm -hmm. and like this felt like a bad play on that. And like so even even this this the last franchise sort of like, is wide and infinite. 
<laughs> yeah, it felt like it, like it was st it was still referring back to its its canon, even with that with that as as silly as it it might be. Yeah, the, the courage to take the courage to take an obscure piece of literature and build your entire anime around it is one that I do not blame anyone for not having. But Ghost in the Shell used to be one of those, and <laughs> with this installment, it most definitely is not. And that's. I mean, that, that maybe that's a golden age of uh, uh, an anime boom thing. Because if Eureka Seven could be based on the Golden Bow, then <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You're, you you've got your exotic literary uh, things in a, a ro flying robot on a surfboard show, and I don't know. This is closer to a flying ro robot on a surfboard show than the original standalone <laughs> complex in many ways. So maybe it, maybe it is right. Yeah, I, I mean, just multiple episodes that are just, like, based off of, like, references to media. There's a bunch of, there's an episode where a bunch of shots mirror, like, Blade Runner shots, and there's the one that steals uh, all of its scenes from a bunch of French New Wave. Like, it just feels less a piece of art if there's less thought into it. And I do feel like this standalone comp... I agree with you. SAC 2045 is a show about getting, yes. to, the, getting to the end point as soon as possible, or getting to the end point as as like efficiently as possible and the idea that the main characters don't really have much involvement and the bad guy won before we even knew that he had a plot let alone what his plot was it it, it just it just feels like someone who's trying to get through another season of this and yeah. that's kind of scary to see from ghost in the shell standalone complex which is where a lot of my antipathy comes from yeah, just just it's going back to my Anno comparison. Oh, and sure. that in with yeah. everything. everything no, no, I can. no, no, no. By all means, appropriately enough, um, the ending he's picked here very much feels like an ending, which which deliberately precludes anything following up. Why would you say that? What can you do in a world where everyone sees exactly what they want to see, and you have uh, to explain that concept to everyone? The entire thing from that starting point. The starting point is everything you see is an illusion. At any point, you could be pranked. Like at any point, <laughs> the, the the writer can go, "This isn't what's happening." And in fact, the likelihood is this isn't what's happening because we've been told that, that everyone's just seeing different things. So, uh, whatever ca the case the major finds herself on, well, that's just what's making her most happy, and it's not even a real case. Because uh, she she's just getting fed whatever mix of uh, intrigue and stuff keeps her her happy, so you can't go anywhere with this. It's a complete and utter dead end. It warms my heart that you don't think there's a reset button they could smash <laughs> where you flash forward to five, flash forward five years later. They've cleaned the virus off of everybody. We're we're exactly back where we started, except there's going to be a rocket that's going to be launching for the moon. But um. They sent a computer ahead of time, and it's like it declared an independent robot cybernetic state on the moon, and kill me now. <laughs> I mean, that's not that dissimilar from the plot of Orbital Children, except that was actually good. I need. To, I still need to watch that. I, I wasted my time watching Bell instead, which I liked. I liked Bell. Um, I mean, Dan, Dan Coyle was. Would that have been a, a roughly contemporary with standalone complex? Uh, I think a few years after. So yeah, it, I mean, it, it came it came after, but like soon after. So it's obviously. I feel like Denocoil and it's it's like take on AR was like also very prescient, and uh, we look at things like uh, standalone complex and and lane, and like we see th things which have had things to say about the future, mm. whereas this is seems preoccupied with now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're. Maybe you're right. Maybe they will just 
complete reset, go again, because it certainly didn't seem to stop them this time. Um, but I, as part of me, he hopes that there's a, a rebellious bit of Kamiyama, which is just like, right, let's see you fuckers make me make me do another <laughs> one of these. He's. I mean, the online consensus is that this is is that this is dense and interesting, um, but I think that's people in denial. I think like if you were to watch think, a, even a single God. episode of Standalone Complex or Second Gig, you would not be able to maintain that delusion, no matter how powerful the virus inside your head. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, I don't know. I think uh, I think ambiguity is a is in. In shows which have a mystery is just like one of the cheapest tricks you can pull and when it's just used again and again in shows like you you name checked um uh jj uh, abrams and lost yeah. and i think you've, you've mentioned before like um battlestar galactica and the, the way that but first who is a cylon this is a this is a yeah. incredibly important question and by the end who knows who's a cylon could be anyone we've only got five left we've figured out that they can fake their backgrounds and they and they can yeah but that's the thing is that like it's because surprises aren't aren't effective drama unless they're built into the show and i don't know it, it i feel like it was such a big mistake just to be like okay we found we've located every single post-human let's watch and see what they do and then we know what they do. They're going to destroy and remake the world. That's like, we've been explicitly told that that's their plan. So like watching for them to do the thing we know they're going to do feels a bit too much like watching an unneeded recent season of a show of, of characters mm -hmm. who are so stuck in the mud. We're waiting to see them do the thing they're going to do. Come on, get your hands ready for applause. Oh, I'm too cynical. I don't want to be that way. Um, yeah. I'm excited to rewatch Ghost in the Shell's uh, second gig. Once I can convince, uh, we're watching Plenty of Taste right now, but I'll I'm gonna get my girlfriend to watch rewatch second gig. <laughs> I want I, I really want to know what what your partner thinks of um, Planetes. Like, cause I you know I absolutely adore it. I, I mean I do too. I do too. It's just so. I think you you like me saw it saw Planetes at a time where that where where appropriately enough that was a story which no one was telling like yeah. no no one was thought like okay what's the interesting thing about going to space ah the logistics the the, the <laughs> how it's actually going to be how it would actually be to live in space not to adventure in space but to live to work in space and that's what planetes covered and now we've got a lot of shows which are, are not the majority of sci-fi but it's become like a yeah, uh, the expanse a, a subgenre in it. For all mankind was what really brought her over because that's where like, what if the Russians land on the moon first, and therefore the space race just kept going forever, and like every mm -hmm. season's a genre is a is a is a skip of a decade forward in time of how this the space race is going, and like that sort of thing is exciting, and I think that planning taste smelled at first that like just like the business of living in space and having a spaceship that's not a cool star wars spaceship that can fly you across the galaxy but it's a ship that if you if you have the fuel you can be at the moon in a day in 23 hours that sort of thing yeah so so what you're saying ben is maybe ghost in the shell 2055 won't be as bad a, a, as as it all after they do a procedural um uh grounded uh, standalone conflict is already a procedural that's the thing they went away from what they were good at which is the big problem with these days well yeah sure they'll go back sure my ass look at that. let's <laughs> let's wrap this up so uh first an announcement um 
if you've noticed, we've had a few fewer people on, a few more tweens lately. Uh, all of us, our lives are ironically getting busier as the as the hibernating world of today, 2022, uh, continues to wake up from the COVID pandemic. Uh, so we're going to be switching to monthly episodes. We're going to cover the beginning of a season, the end of a season, and something in the middle. Make sure that we can come uh, better prepared with larger panels, more energy. That's the idea there. Uh, we'll be tweaking this format a little bit as we continue to go on, but that's the idea from from biweekly to once a month. Yeah, because we we know we know you all want more Jeff and Andy um, because yes, and they're those like two tr- those those two troublemakers. Uh, we we need to get them on more often, and so we hope <laughs> with a. Uh, and maybe even John. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe even John. Indeed. No promises, though. <laughs> we we hope with this new format, we'll be able to uh, basically pick our recording times around not a release schedule, but around when we have free time and therefore get more people on, be more energized and just give you hopefully better quality, even if slightly less quantity. I mean, as as Napoleon said, quality has a quantity all its own. Actually, it's the reverse. <laughs> uh, but yes, so tune in. Uh, next episode, when it comes out, we will be talking about the beginning of the summer anime season. I'm almost getting this right. It's been, hey, seven years. But uh, <laughs> doing the, the beginning of the summer anime season and also a special look at Bastard, which is a remake of an old OVA from the 90s that is now on Netflix and sucks. No, it doesn't suck. It does kind of <laughs> suck. But remember, rate, review and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at keyframespod. Find us on Facebook, Keyframes Podcast. Just search for it and tell a friend. But not just any friend. Tell a friend who is not <laughs> real and is, in fact, just the friend you have imagined in your head and who is your best friend, your best possible friend, who never tells you anything which you dislike and always tells you exactly what you want to hear. So it was really the first core is where we got the delusion thing, because he had the friend who died because of the paratrooper who was his friend hanging around. And he got the idea for that to be like, hey... Let's give everybody an imaginary friend (laughs) and make them listen to our podcast. Say goodbye, Duncan. Goodbye. No, that's fine.